are you ready to organize your amazing ideas into a powerful book? It's time to write your book. Welcome to the Write Hour, nonfiction tips from the Write Coach. And I'm Joyce Glass, your host. I am so glad you joined me today. Welcome to episode 403 of the Write Hour. I'm excited to have Diane Mills on with me today. She will teach us how to show, don't tell. You may be wondering, what in the world am I talking about? You hear the phrase, show, don't tell, often when writing fiction, but it's also a powerful tool to use in nonfiction. If you're not driving, pull up the show notes and follow along at the rightcoach.biz forward slash 403. You can find that link on iTunes if you are listening. And don't forget to download your show, Don't Tell Tips, prepared by Diane and me. I added her show, Don't Tell Techniques, that we discuss during this session. So make sure you go to the show notes page and download your PDF. It's a four-page PDF to help with all of this. It's a great thing to keep handy when you're writing. Diane Mills, she's a best-selling author who believes her readers should expect an adventure. She weaves memorable characters with unpredictable plots to create action-packed, suspense-filled novels. Diane believes every breath of life is someone's story, so why not capture those moments and create a thrilling adventure? Her titles have appeared on the CBA and ECPA bestseller list. She's won two Christie Awards and has been a finalist for the Rita, Daphne de Muir, International Reader's Choice, and Carol Award Contest. Diane is a founding board member of the American Christian Fiction Writers, a member of Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime, and International Thriller Writers. She is a co-director of the Blue Ridge Mountain Christian Writers Conference, the Mountainside Marketing Conference, and the Mountainside Novelist Retreat with social media specialist Edie Melson, where she continues her passion of helping other writers to be successful. She speaks to various groups and teaches writing workshops around the country. Diane has been termed a coffee snob and roasts her own coffee beans. She's an avid reader, loves to cook, and believes her grandchildren are the smartest kids in the universe. She and her husband live in sunny Houston, Texas. Diane is very active online and would love to connect with the readers on social media. You can find all of her links to connect with her at the bottom of the show notes. It's time to learn. Today, Diane is here to share with us a little bit about showing versus telling. And now if you are a nonfiction writer or a fiction writer, this is pertinent to you because even if you are writing nonfiction, you still want to show, not just tell a whole bunch of, spew a bunch of facts. People want to hear stories. They want to hear about other people. They want it in an interesting way. So Diane uh, has written many books, as you heard about in the intro, and she is here to help us with this concept that one that I'll be honest, I'm still working on learning myself. I, I grasp it pretty good, but I still have some more learning to do on it. And it's something that just takes time and learning from someone like Diane is a great way to do it. So Diane, first tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a writer and how you got started in this industry before we jump into the showing and telling. Well, it's a chuckle. It 
is definitely a, a, a funny story. I had wanted to write since I was an itty bitty girl and I would write things and then hide them so nobody would find them, things of that nature. But I always talked about it. And back in 96, uh, my husband said to me, stop telling me that someday you're going to write a book. Just quit your job. I'll give you a year to get anything published. And if you get anything published, you would never have to go back to your other job. So, you know what they say about dynamite coming in small packages and things of that nature. So I said, okay, I will. And uh, I wrote a book the rest of that year. I sold it. It came out in 98. And I have, uh, I never went back to uh, the other job. And it has been an amazing, wonderful spiritual growth time uh, it it is just a joy and a privilege to be able to take a gift that God's given you and use it for the purpose that he intended you to I read uh, today just today uh, that we, t we tell our kids, and we've been told, oh, you could be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. And the truth of the matter is we need to seek out what God wants us to do first. Right. And then it all falls into play. Sometimes we need a dare or a challenge to do that. Well, you have definitely had a great incentive. So, you know, hey, if you didn't want to go back to the other job and you want to do this, <clears throat> then have at it. That was a great incentive from your husband. So, wonderful. <laughs> so tell us a little bit then about what is telling and then give us some examples so that we can understand what we're going to talk about telling and showing. And you may want to just give us a quick overview for those that may not understand what in the world are they talking about showing and telling. So give us a quick. Okay. Uh, I'm a storyteller. So let, let me work at it uh, from uh, that aspect. You know, it's, it's interesting to note that 50 years or more, uh, a, a reader grasps a novel with the goal of, I'm going to see what Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn are up to. In other words, I'm going to allow this fabulous reader to tell me a story. Today's reader has a different goal. The readers want to be Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn. So to ensure the reader experiences that whole adventure, the writer incorporates various techniques to ensure uh, the satisfaction through showing and not telling. In other words, we want to put the reader into the story and let them be the character. Yes. So in essence, telling is when a writer provides information about the story instead of showing it. And I agree, it's easier to do that. And the challenge is in showing the story because we all remember growing up wanting someone to tell us a story. In actuality, the storytellers we love the most were those who, remember how they took on different voices and they used vivid language 
and they put us right into those characters' uh, shoes. An example I could give is, okay, the day was hot. That's telling. That's telling. So um, what is showing? Showing is being a part of the story. The imagery reflects on what is happening without stating the obvious mm -hmm. or telling. So instead of the day was hot, think about Tom lifted the hoe and dug it deep into the cracked, baked earth. He paused and wiped the sweat dripping from his brow and stinging his eyes. Lifting the jug of water, he downed the last few trickles. How much longer could he go on? I never said it was hot, but I'm hoping that you're wiping yeah, the sweat off yeah. your face or you're reaching for your water or, or something. As someone who's been living in South Georgia and Georgia all of her life, I can feel that. <laughs> yes. Well, this Texas gal's a little warm, too, so I get it. But, um, you know, it, it allows the reader to take part in the story progression with action and feeling and emotion instead of just relaying what you know, happened. I like to compare it to instead of a, you know, a word vomit, you are actually giving them an image to display what you're really trying to tell them that's where the show comes in versus just spewing out facts or information that is true, but it does not entice any kind of reaction or emotion. You know, I could sit here and spout stats all day, you know, but that's not, not may not interest you or get you excited about a story or a character or getting to know something in a more interesting way. And so it's, it's always, a great thing. Um, I, am, I'm not jumping ahead, but I'm sure you have read, um, Rick Bragg's book. Um, it's all over, but the Shelton, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, to me, one of the, he, he has that, that does this so well. Don't you think that he, it, oh yeah. It, yeah. He it, does. It's he, he brings you into the story that you feel like you're right there and you can feel it. And that's what we're trying to do with show versus tell, right? Is we want them to come right yes. into that story with us and get lost and, and not, and, and be interested and not, um, you know, put it down after a couple paragraphs because they're like, okay, that's great. <laughs> you know? And go on. <laughs> Yes. Do yes. you have some other example? I have that example, but one thing I wanted to say before I forget it, because the older you get, the more you have a tendency to forget something, is that I know you have a lot of nonfiction writers who are listening to this podcast, and before they uh, tune me out, uh, understand the value of allowing your reader to uh, Feel the concept that you are putting together to use stories to relay uh, a concept, a fact, something that is critical to you. We hear a lot about uh, creative nonfiction where story and, and dialogue helps to get the point across and does really 
show that a non-threatening environment reaches readers, either in fiction or nonfiction, mm -hmm. uh, much easier than the stats you were right. talking about earlier. Right. Definitely. All right. So uh, did you have any other examples for that or are we ready for show? Um, I, w I was thinking about a wedding I was at not so long ago. And the, the bride was just beaming. And that is such a cliche. But what was so original about showing how she felt was she kept dancing on her toes. She could not stand still. She just kept bouncing on her toes. And it had uh, all of us watching, you know, giggling. Mm -hmm. But she was showing her excitement for this fabulous day. And anyway, it just yeah, stuck with definitely. me. definitely. Well, that's, I mean, and that would be a way to show in a story mm -hmm. someone's excitement for something. It was, you know, their body movements, their body language, everything. Oh, yes. Definitely. Oh, yes. So give us a, what is showing and an example of showing? So we, we talked about it, but do you have a little more detail on showing? Uh, one thing I will say for all of us writers is that it is so much easier to tell than it is to be creative. And I encourage all your listeners uh, to read the authors they admire and respect because I can guarantee they are showing either their concepts or their story rather than telling. So study those passages when they're showing uh, imagery and uh, don't be afraid to do lots of rewrites. I think the easiest way for me to show telling is the tips that come with it and let your listener envision how that can apply to them. One way that a writer can effectively show and not tell is to use deep point of view mm -hmm. because that technique is more about creating a close bond between the character and the reader so that the character is no longer telling the reader how I feel, this is what I'm doing, this is how I go through life, but it's allowing internal dialogue, emotions, and the body language you just mm -hmm. mentioned to come into, to come from the character's heart and mind, providing that reader with, uh, with an intimate experience. And that's, that's really what we're after. Another way of showing is through uh, characterization, specifically uh, backstory, and that backstory shows how and why a character exists, uh, what their motivation are, uh, or the motivation is, uh, how adversity reveals who the character is and shows so that when a scene calls for uh, a snippet of, of backstory to play into the goal of that scene, we see it more clearly why a character is saying, acting, behaving the way they are. 
A third way of showing is in setting. Because a wise writer shows enough setting for the reader to envision the story world and no more. Because information overload sort of cheats the, mm -hmm. the reader. We want to show that reader enough so that they picture it. And what they see may be a little different than the, uh, than the writer sees. But that doesn't matter when we play the... Uh, when we play those cards of this is setting for this scene and just coax that uh, reader into uh, taking a look and walking those grounds that that scene with the um, with the character because unfortunately the reader will skip the description and move on to the action if we aren't careful to show uh, something exciting. And then they may risk a, a detail that later on they'll wonder, wow, I didn't get this. Yeah, exactly. So we want them to experience that same thrill. A fourth way of showing is using active verbs and nouns. We've heard that all of our writing live, and yet I don't know how many times uh, we can get past we want <laughs> the sentence to be active to those active verbs and strong nouns actually show that scene. So by avoiding um, L-Y words, adverbs, we mm -hmm. can dive in uh, deeper and show that story just a, a tad better. I say just a tad, but you're from Georgia and you know what I'm talking about. Just a little bit better for you who aren't from the South. Uh, the fifth one is using all the senses, um, but get rid of the sensory naming words. Get rid of I saw, heard, felt, tasted, and go straight to the sensation. Uh, for example, if I say, oh, I smell an apple, and, and that's sort of telling us what you smell, or I tasted an apple, and it tells us what we tasted. But if I said something along the line, apple juices exploded in my mouth and dribbled down my chin, wow, I'm tasting a juicy apple and I want to go to the fridge and get myself one. The sixth one is uh, be specific to right. establish a connection between the reader and the character. And that, that sort of combines mm -hmm. everything, drawing that reader in as though they are standing alongside and in that point of view character. And then one of my favorite, favorite ways to show and not tell mm -hmm. is uh, color symbolism. Symbolism is a study in itself, but colors show story because it affects the emotion just like sensory perception does and if you've got do you have about five minutes that I can go over uh, what these colors can do for showing oh definitely definitely go right ahead okay um, red red's a warm color it engages strong feelings from warm and comforting to hot angry hostile um, Experts claim that red can stimulate the appetite. And if I gave the phrases redneck, red hot, red hot lover, 
red-handed, paint the town red, or seeing red, it shows you, instead of telling you what is actually going on in, with that character or in that scene. Right. Blue, blue prompts a range of psychological responses from calmness to serenity. And today I was working on a PowerPoint that incorporates Facebook and Twitter. And both of these use the colors blue. And it, I just mm -hmm. thought, oh, wow, they, they know how they want to show that calmness and serenity by give, getting into their social media platforms. But anyway, studies show workers in offices that are painted blue are more productive. Blue can help a dieter keep her weight in check. I think I'll play, paint my whole house blue. Um, but blue... <laughs> I'm right there behind you. Yes, I know. I'm not red. Um, but blue can mean sadness. Um, phrasing mm -hmm. like, wow, do you enjoy the blues? Are you having a blue Monday? When was the last time you had a blue ribbon day? And they're all showing and not telling. Right. And green, my favorite color, uh, symbolizes nature and growth. Mm -hmm. And it, too, has a calming effect. I mean, we, we take green plants to someone who's sick or an invalid. Uh, people, it's been proven that people who work in offices painted green have fewer stomach aches. And uh, uh, my house has got some shade of green all over it. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about fewer stomach aches, but it just makes me feel good. But it can also mean other things. It can also show wealth, uh, signify greed or jealousy. In the 15th century, green represented fertility. So you know what color the bride's dresses were. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, this time of year, a green thumb, someone is green with envy, or someone's a greenhorn, it just shows you emotion showing. Right. It, it just blends them both so well. Um, yellow, another one of my favorite colors, is often described as cheery and warm, but it can also be a color of frustration, like getting caught at a yellow light. Uh, more tempers are lost in yellow rooms, and babies in yellow rooms tend to cry more. So the mom who doesn't want to know the, the sex of her baby, she may not want to paint that nursery yellow. Um, yellow stimulates the appetite. So I encourage you, the next time that you walk into um, a Mexican restaurant, Look at the red and the yellow. It's everywhere. It's no wonder we um, just can't get enough of the, of the chips and salsa. Uh, a coward's yellow. And you've heard, oh, she is just little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> Purple, color royalty, wealth, wisdom, spirituality. But it can also mean arrogance, magic, or mystery. It depends on how the writer is using purple to show a specific aspect. 
But it is a mixture of red that's passion and blue that's calmness. I find that unusual. Mm-hmm. Brown, down to earth. Good old farmer brown and farmer green. We didn't have to say they enjoyed being farmers because the color said it all. Yeah. Uh, but I've been told that for a person who's isolated on a farm, that brown can also mean loneliness. So it's, again, how the writer's showing it. Right. Pink is a romance color. It's mm. loving. It's feminine. It's calming and soothing. And every romance cover is going to have some twinge of pink. Um, consider the phrase, oh, she's just in the pink. And, uh, but pink's not my favorite color. It reminds me of Pepto-Bismol. So you know where uh, my emotions and what show comes before my eyes with pink. Um, That's funny. Uh, orange, mixture of red and yellow, excitement, mm-hmm. enthusiasm. And you think about autumn, you think about orange. Uh, the end of the growing season and the entrance into winter. So again, we're showing without saying, oh, it's the uh, end of September. We're heading into October, which much, which means winter is coming. You know, the color says it all. Right. White signifies purity and innocence. It can also uh, represent spaciousness or uh, a sterile atmosphere. I think it was Jack London who uh, many of his short stories, you know, were in the wilds, uh, snow that just was so vast and so huge that it made the the reader feel sort of small because of the spaciousness. Mm -hmm. Then there's black, evil, power, death, mourning. In the fashion world, it's sophistication. And it's to create a slimming effect. So we all wear black. Um, And then again, if I want to show something using black, uh, the black death, Mm -hmm. or there was a blackout, or a black cat without saying something, somebody was superstitious, or, wow, look at the blacklist, the black market, a black belt, or a black tie. And um, the last color, and perhaps one of my very favorites to use, is gray, because it's a blend of black and white. Now, the white symbolizes purity, spaciousness, innocence, and then black can often mean death. So you mix it together, and it's like um, a gray sky can bring much-needed rain for crops, but it can also bring a horrible thunderstorm, or a tornado. Right. Um, and anyway, those were just some of the ways that I love to use color to show. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's dialogue. Great. Yeah, and I was going to tell you, on, on the one about description where you're talking about that, I had read a book a couple of years ago, and she was a fairly novice novelist because even I got distracted <laughs> with her her descriptions because she would be the, the character would be mid-thought and then she would have her start looking around the room and start describing things in the room and I'm like why why are you doing this there's no there was no point it wasn't necessary to add to anything and so you got to be 
careful and creative when you are using that description not to distract the reader because no you know, right. i mean like that, you know you don't 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 stop mid thought to tell me what the room looks like <laughs> i don't need to know yeah at that point we don't care that yeah. the mood of that room that setting or color or furnishings or whatever are to play into that focus of that scene and where that character is at in her head right right oh abs absolutely another area to, that we can use to show is um the motivation Mm -hmm. And yes, dialogue is tremendous, but that those nonverbal communications, those are up to 90% of our total communication. I didn't realize that until I did a study. Right. But I don't know about you, but my mother used to say, you know what, what you're not saying speaks louder than what you are. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where it comes from. We were showing our, our emotions and showing what we were feeling. We didn't have to tell it. We didn't have to say, Mom, I don't like that. I can't go do this or I can't do that because body language did it all. Exactly. <laughs> Anybody who's yeah. had a two-year-old should be able to read some body language. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Two-year-olds and, and, and boys. I had boys. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. And, and yet, Joyce, there are times when telling is necessary. Right. And I want to cover that real quickly. I mean, show, don't tell is a writer's motto. and But minor happening should be revealed in the most effective way. And that is uh, clearly and succinctly. Right. And when we need to summarize some events that aren't vitally interesting but still need to be included, tell them. He drove to work, or he, um, we've all read this, he stood from the chair and walked to the door, turned the no doorknob and opened the door. We don't care about that. Just have him open the stupid door. <laughs> we, know how, we know how someone gets from the chair to the door. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we absolutely. We don't need so, to know. You know well, or the answering the phone, you know, she pulled it out of her purse and flips it and hits the, the um, answer key, you know, button and is like, no, just say she answered the phone. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, oh, yes. We're on the right page there. Yeah. That you want to condense any mm -hmm. information like that that's, that most people are going to know that we don't need to know every step, every breath, every movement that somebody makes. You right. And get to, the, uh, get to the interesting part. <laughs> yeah. Get to the part that talks about that character struggling to achieve a goal and, and changing and growing in the process and, you know, all of those things. Um, I will say that for the writer who's looking to, okay, I've listened to Joyce and Diane talk about there are some things that just need to be told, but I want to state four things that are, are like little keys to understanding that. And one is to cover time, which we just did. Right. Uh, the second one is to clarify, clarify how one point affects another, 
answer the phone. We don't need the whole stuff in between. Um, or, no, I take that back to clarify answering that phone. There's always an exception. We have, you know, right suspense. So we have this person laid out on the floor. They're bleeding. They're about to pass out. The phone rings. If they can just get to that phone, they can get help. That's a difference. Right. Um, right. Right. And let's see. To state minor happenings needed for the storyline. Just tell it and get to the good stuff. Or right. to provide a change of pace when action has been high and suspenseful. Uh, I always say that there are only so many times we can send our readers to the medicine cabinet for blood pressure medication. At times, we've got to slow them down and tell them a few things so they get their breathing back to normal. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, those are the times that I feel that uh, telling is absolutely necessary, and, and I see you agree with me, too. Another one are dialogue tags. Writers, writers, please, the only thing you ever need said. Don't tell me how the character said something. If you've got a question mark, I know that you ask. <laughs> if the mood is, is um, exciting, don't tell me how the, um, the character mark and then turning around and telling me again by saying he exclaimed or shouted or yelled. Um, just stick to said and let your other cool ways show that um, how they're conveying that emotion and how the character is saying. Um, let's see. Uh, we talked about in sensory perception, not using I saw, tasted, smelled, but other words too. If you avoid explaining words like happy, sad, frustrated, excited, joy, those things and go right to the to the point of how they are enduring that and showing it, then we um, avoid the don't tell. Yeah. Yeah. How would you show sarcasm? I, I struggle with that one because I have my, my character that I'm working with now She's got, she's, she can be a little snippy and sarcastic mm -hmm. and to, it's hard because that's more something in somebody's tone of voice than, and, and maybe a little bit in their action. It, and to me that it's just hard to, to relay without saying she was sarcastically said. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's just all in the words, all in, all in your word choice and maybe, um, uh, as you said, some actions, maybe a uh, curled up, you know, not a sneer or a snarl necessarily, but that that smile that, you know, is not sincere. Yeah, um, she smirks and she grins, you know. Oh, yeah, we don't, we want to avoid that. I think <laughs> that just the, the word choice alone, um, I know that our readers are smart. And they're really smart, and they're going to pick up on her sarcasm. And you could even have another character at one point say, you know what, I've had enough of your sarcasm. Mm -hmm. um, that, that would do it too, but I just think your word choice and 
it is okay. going to do it just fine. Her okay. reaction to something that's totally sarcastic, that reader's going to get it. Okay. I'm just not giving them enough benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. so tell me, why is this so difficult for writers? I mean, I can tell you from my own experience too, but why, why do you think this is so difficult, learning show versus telling? Because it is easier. Just think about it. Um, he is sad. Mm -hmm. um, she's happy. It, it is just easier than taking the challenge of being creative, uh, looking at that character's list of uh, traits to see if they're introvert, extrovert, how would they respond to this to show they were happy or sad or excited, uh, where they went to school at to show possibly even the words they would use, or their backstory. Uh, they weren't allowed to show anger as a, as a child, so they still believe it's, it's wrong to show sadness or anger. You know, taking all those things into consideration and um, being diligent to create that environment, it's hard work. It is. So, um, to me, that is the biggest reason. It just gets easier to, to tell instead of showing. At least that's my excuse. That, uh, that's when <laughs> I know I've done it. <laughs> Well, I agree. I mean, just like the sarcasm thing for me, I'm struggling with because it's like, you know, that's something you can hear in someone's tone or like you said, you someone, you know them or their, their body movement. And so that's part of where I've had a struggle where it'd be easier to say, well, she sarcastically said, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm trying to avoid doing that. So I was thinking about that recently and, and I'm, you know, I know to go back and look at that and see if it, if it's, if it's coming across sarcastic or not. So, um, so the next thing is what has helped you learn this concept? And, um, and you've given us some great tips. So what has, what helped you learn this concept of showing versus telling? Uh, aside from a good editor that will not, <laughs> or a critique <laughs> partner that says, uh, can you show this? Uh, but I would say uh, I have some favorite writers that do it very, very well. Uh, Joel Rosenberg. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rick Bragg, which you brought up a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen James. Mm -hmm. uh, Charles Martin. Louise Penny. Mm -hmm. uh, these uh, these writers do an outstanding job uh, of showing, don't telling. I, I was remembering one of Louise Penny's books, and I can't even remember the name of it right now, but it was at an Easter egg hunt. And what she said was, looking out at everyone uh, hunting uh, Easter eggs, it looked like a field of derriers. <laughs> and I love that line. That is I, so mean, I love that line. Okay. And yes, yes. And, and, and you can see it. Young and uh -huh. old, you can see it. Uh-huh. 
And you wouldn't have to say anything else. I mean, you most yes, people would know in, if, in the right context what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. is so cute. Well, um, so the, those are the writers that you admire. And what words of advice and encouragement do you have for new writers? Because a lot of the people listening are new writers and, and mm -hmm. some are more seasoned. And just, there, or not, so maybe someone's struggling to write their book, what encouragement would you give them, especially in this aspect of showing versus telling? Showing versus telling is don't be afraid to edit. Follow the, uh, the, the blogs that give constant writer instruction. You know, while we focused on show, don't tell, uh, I hope you saw that it took in the whole compass of writing, uh, mm -hmm. characterization, nonfiction titles, uh, more plot, dialogue, uh, setting, uh, color. It takes in everything. So if, you, if you're struggling with show, don't tell, uh, get yourself busy and registered and subscribe to a couple of really good uh, uh, blog posts. Uh, I'm very, very prejudiced to the Blue Ridge Conference because I'm co-director for that <laughs> conference and it's coming up in May. So uh, I'm excited about that. Yes. But um, uh, I, I do want to say that we give a constantly, we are giving post uh, that will help the writer. Another great uh, blog to follow is Live, Write, Thrive. Okay. Uh, by C.S. Lakin. She's going to be at the Blue Ridge Conference, too. Awesome. Uh, the Write, W-R-I-T-E, conversation is outstanding. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. What is a fourth one I can give that uh, I follow without a doubt? It's Susie Mae Warren's uh, following the... Um, the blog posts that she has daily on, on writing a novel. But all of those give you fabulous information, just fabulous. Right. Uh, right. If anyone has a, has a question or they've missed something I've said or they would like for me to recommend uh, other additional resources, they can email me at Diane, D-I-A-N-N, at dianemills.com uh, website is dianemills.com and I've got a lot all my platforms are listed there too and we'll have that in the show notes oh thank you thank you uh, but get yourself involved with a good writers group one that challenges you you know our moms and our sisters and our cousins will just say oh that is just wonderful uh, but that didn't help us any no, you um, no. you need uh, you need great feedback and to be involved in uh, a group that you can give as well as receive from the expertise. Right, it's that that constant challenging, and I and I will second over here. Blue Ridge Conference is wonderful. I've met so many fabulous people. It has challenged me, helped me grow as a writer and help me learn so much in different ways and think about things in different ways that I'd not thought about. 
and if you you if you don't go to this conference which i hope you do but if you don't go to a conference somewhere um because that's where you're going to make a connections but you're also going to be challenged and learn and then the group finding a, a local group or an online group to help you with your writing too um like diane said is excellent that those are the ways that i have honed my craft and continue to hone my craft and Diane knows I'm going this weekend to a writing intensive with Stephen James that he is critiquing the first 50 pages of my novel. And I'm excited to see what he has to say. And even if he rips it to shreds, it's great because that means it's going to be even better. You know, oh, yes, <laughs> whatever he's done, because especially with I'm great with nonfiction, but I'm still learning the fiction world. And I want that input. You know, I want to know how to make it better because I want this to be as you know ec excellent a work as I can make it and so I'm excited about that and at the conference this year Donald Moss has had an extra um yes what do you call it an extra workshop day is what we're calling it's it? a post-conference the conference itself is from Sunday afternoon uh May 19th through Thursday at uh, at noon, and that's the 23rd, then uh, you can take a nap in the afternoon, because trust me, I will, and <laughs> all day um, Friday is, um, is Donald Moss, and he is only $150 more to take that class, and uh, I heartily encourage you to do that. It's, it's just will be amazing. And we are limiting how many people are in that workshop uh, so that we can all get the attention that we need, that you need. And I will say for the uh, basic conference itself, we are taking scholarship applications until April 1st. Okay, great. And that's coming up. Really quick. <laughs> so, yes, yes. And so if you are thinking that, wow, I really need a scholarship, I encourage you to apply. And that information's on the website too. And anybody has any questions, they can uh, email with you within that hour. I'll get with you before the day's over. Yeah, yeah. So, well, wonderful. Well, before we go, I always love to ask this. Tell us a little bit about your writing time. Do you have a consistent time that you write? Do you write daily? And what things work for you and maybe what things do not work for you? Well, you know what they say about eccentric and bizarre things that writers do. <laughs> I'm going to preface that. And, um, and I know <laughs> I am up. <laughs> yes. I am up between 4.30 and 5. Um, I talk to God first because I can't do anything without him anyway. And then I grab my uh, laptop and I am on the treadmill. Takes me... 30 minutes to go through um, email, loading my uh, social media scheduler and getting all that social media stuff done. It takes me about 30 minutes. And then I'm writing. And I write till 7.30 when I hear the my husband uh, grinding the coffee beans. Um, after breakfast, getting cleaned up, I write till noon. My best time to write is in the mornings. Mm -hmm. That's when I am alert. That's just when my brain works the best. 
Uh, I'd like to have anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 words done in a day. Sometimes if I'm editing, it's not that much, but I feel really good about what has been done. The afternoon is spent, uh, if I need to create a blog, uh, responding to emails. I do mentor um, students from time to time. I'm working on keynotes. I'm working on the Blue Ridge Conference. Uh, I'm working on, you know, other things other than my novel. So that's pretty much it. I do cook dinner. I love to cook. So I cook dinner. And while that's going on, the, my story is cooking in my mind. So if, uh, and I'll make notes to see, okay, I need to go back and change this, add this, that kind of thing. And I'd like to tell you that I shut the door to my office um, and don't do anything else until the next morning, but that's a lie. Um, <laughs> My husband does like for me to be in the game room when he uh, he may record a, uh, a movie or something that he wants to see, and I bring my laptop in there, and I'm with him, and I can get a few what I call no-brainer things done, too. Mm -hmm. So that's my schedule. I told you it was weird. <laughs> it's not weird. It's all great. And, hey, I, I, I want a treadmill so I can be on it and work at the same time too. <laughs> that multitasking mm -hmm. wonderful thing it would be um so but it's so good to hear from you and talk with you again today and thank you for sharing with us so many wonderful ideas and oh, thank you if anybody like i said has any questions feel free to you know you can reply on this post or email diane and we will also, um, I'll have on the show notes, I'll do some more explanations of some of the, I'll do a couple of definitions of some of the terms you went through because for the nonfiction writers, they may not understand some of those terms that you were going through about point of view and characterization, but it is something that you will use in nonfiction too. You just don't realize it, how you're using it. And so I will um, get that information in there for everybody. So thank you and have a great day. Oh, uh, Joyce, yes. they have a PDF, remember? Yes, uh, you will have a download of some um, great tips from Diane and that she put together. I'm so glad she did that. And I will have that in the show notes as well. So make sure you visit the show note page and download your PDF with the show versus tell tips that she gave us. So thank you again and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Rhine Hour, nonfiction tips from the Right Coach. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and listen on your favorite app each week. Leave a review and let others know how they can learn about the craft and business of writing. It's time to write your book.